RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. This piece is from the speakupforwomen.nz site. Go to the news menu to read the piece by Emma Barraclough, September 2023, so uh, this month. Her struggle session, that's my description, uh, experience at the Ministry of Transport. In it, she says, and I'm sort of editing a bit here, but this story is not really about me. Instead, it's about how views around gender identity are treated within government and what happens when someone asks questions or dissents. So uh, Emma Barraclough joins us. Emma, thanks for coming on RCR. Thanks for having me. Okay, I've I sort of labelled it a struggle session. It probably wasn't that much of a struggle, but it has that sort of feel about it, you know. Yeah, I, I think um, a struggle session is perhaps a little poetic license. Yeah, it is. Okay, so what happened here? You Ministry of Transport, the business is transport. So, so take us through kind of how how this unfolds. Uh, Inside Out was invited in by the Ministry of Transport to give a training session on how to be a good ally to the LGBTQIA plus community. And we were recommended to go by the chief executive of the ministry. So I went along. And during the session, there was a number of things that the presenter said that I thought were, um, were factually inaccurate, actually. For example, she said that um, everyone now knew, including scientists, that sex is a spectrum. And she well, including also, scientists, including scientists, well, including least. scientists. Okay. Yeah, that, so that, that was that was a particularly um, controversial part of it. Um, she also said she she revit, she defined a number of terms from the lgbtqi plus community and and one of them was homosexuality effectively so she said that rather than saying same sex attracted for lesbians and gay people we should say same gender attracted now that might seem a bit a bit niche and esoteric but effectively what it means is redefining that concept so it means that 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 the word that we knew lesbian that everybody accepts means a woman who is attracted to other women would now mean a woman who is attracted to anybody who defined themselves as a woman right which would include biological males who would describe themselves as as women um Towards the end of the session, she she gave us some tips on how to be a good ally, and one of them was was that we needed to speak up when we when people said things that were that made us feel uncomfortable and that we didn't like the sound of that, that we didn't agree with. So at the end, I asked if I might ask a question, and I said that some of what she'd said had made me feel a bit uncomfortable, and and explained that I have a lesbian relative and lesbian friends and. Some of them are concerned that about this redefinition. And I asked whether um, effectively what she was saying was that lesbians as a group should be willing to accept male-bodied people with penises who define themselves as women as sexual partners. And she said that saying the word male was a problem and saying the word penis was a problem. And she said that since they were trans women are women, then yes, they needed to be included within the lesbian community. 
Wow. So it was it was quite a short exchange. It's it's literally yeah. everything that I've said in my account that you can see online. There was there was no more to it than that. It was quite short and it was calm. I mean, I pushed back, but it was a you know a, a calm exchange. And um and then we all left the meeting and nobody talked about the session afterwards i i well i didn't hear any anything well, about that, the that's interesting and then almost that, sorry to jump in but you'd expect that would raise some sort of discussion some sort of exchange between people given because what you've just described is a complete disconnect from the reality of sex gender so so what what they're saying if i'm picking up what you said as you know as what you mean is that they're saying that even a lesbian woman should welcome a trans <laughs> woman as a woman to be in a in a kind of a lesbian style relationship i mean that is that's out there it's off kind of off the planet for a lot of people you would expect that to create some discussion amongst people post the get together well it didn't in the room that you know it was it was right at the end of the session so i think that um the presenter and and probably the senior leadership team wanted to end it as quickly as possible because somebody had asked a question that was a bit challenging which is ironic because um, they uh, you you took them up on the very opportunity that that they said everyone should have and that is well that's great. that's right i mean that's the irony of the whole situation that they encourage everybody to to speak up and and to challenge things that they found were discriminatory and yet when i did do it it subsequently led to problems so i didn't hear any anyone talking about the session i mean obviously they may well have done but not to me um and then almost two weeks later later i got um i was emailed a letter from the deputy chief executive who had been at the session who um said that my behavior had been offensive and inappropriate and referred me to the Ministry of Transport's Code of Conduct and the Public Service Commission's Code of Conduct. Um, and she made a particular point of, of referring me to sections of those codes which talk about um, ensuring that diverse voices are, are heard. Uh, I, yeah. Which, again, <laughs> I... I it, it, it was all about diverse voices, but not my voice being heard or not not my views being heard. And really, I thought it was important that in a discussion about the LGBTQI plus community, that that members of that community who are who are concerned about issues to do with sex and gender, that their voices were also represented in that room, and they they certainly weren't by inside out. Um, yeah. So I really, I was just trying to do what the code of conduct recommends, which is to yeah. ensure that a variety of voices are heard. Before we get to how all that sort of went, just back in the room again for a moment. Inside Out, we've heard of that group. Um, are they there to persuade, obviously, or, I mean, what what is the right word? Some would say indoctrinate, brainwash. I don't know. But they're there to persuade, aren't they? the um the people in the room uh also you mentioned the presenter so who was this presenter just curious to understand who presents this sort of stuff fair it it was i presume a, a staff member from from inside out it was a relatively young woman who was um what age would you say 20s early 30s something like that 
uh, something like that. Yes, I wouldn't yeah, be able okay. to say exactly, but but twenties, thirties, perhaps. Um, I mean, she was she was very good at what she did. She'd clearly done this before and was um, and whisked through the the slide pack very deftly. You think she believed in what she was saying? Did she come across, you know, like she believed it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's this is this is the question about organisations like Inside Out because they are both an advocacy group, which they are fully entitled to be and advocate for their views, and that that's fine. But they are also being used to train various organisations, including public servants in government ministries, which which puts them in a sort of strange dual position role. And and if it was just that they were advocating for their point of view to be considered, then I think that would be fine as yeah. long as they were part of a diverse group that all got an opportunity to explain what they thought the policy should be. But that wasn't how it was presented in the ministry. It was presented that Inside Out were there to tell us how to um, to talk about members of the LGBTQI plus community, what... Um, uh, yeah, really, effectively what policy should be. I mean, obviously, it's not something that, that Ministry of Transport deals with. No, that's what I said at the start, if they, transport, if, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have people have made that comment. Um, but, um, but if they are doing that, I'm not sure if they are, but if they are going into other ministries and departments that do have um, a, a policy advisory role on, on issues to do with trans policy, so, for example... Um, in sports or corrections, mm. then it's really quite significant that they are making it clear what terms are and aren't acceptable to be used. Because if a policy advisor is writing advice to the minister about whether, for example, um, trans women should take part in female sport or, or whether trans men, i.e. biological females, should be placed in, in male prisons, and they can't use factually accurate, biologically accurate language, then that really does have implications for how that advice is framed. Yeah. Okay, so it took two weeks before you had something come back. That's quite a long time. Maybe they're busy people. So do you think there was quite a bit of toing and froing? in the background before you had the communication that, that you did from higher up? I, I really don't know, Paul. I'm not, I'm, I, I yeah. can't say. Well, you think you can get onto that pretty the quick if there was a problem, right? You don't muck around for that long is what I'm thinking about. You know, you, you, I, 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 I really take. can't say. I mean, so, I, I don't know whether she was busy on other things. This was a minor issue to her that she finally got round to, or whether it, it reflected the fact that there were discussions going on. I, I really can't say. It's interesting what she said, um, and, and you know, obviously, probably don't have time to read out the copy, and people should go and read it anyway. But she was basically saying, "You've got to write to," well, someone said, "You've got to write to what you're saying, sort of," but it was your tone. Well, in the letter that the deputy chief executive sent me, she did say that she acknowledged that I had a right to voice my opinions, but also referred me to the code of conduct, um, saying that I had to um, to respect everybody with a clear implication. Well, it, it wasn't just an implication. She she said that that I my behaviour had been. Um, 
offensive and inappropriate. Um, but it wasn't. Yeah, so really. it wasn't just an implication. It wasn't offensive or what were the words? I mean, the way you explained it, it was just questioning. Really? Wasn't it? Well, I, I thought it was a, a, a genuine fact-based question. I, I wanted her to to acknowledge the material reality of what we were talking about. I think it's very easy on this subject for advocacy organizations to talk in effectively euphemisms, and, and it can really obscure the meaning of what we're talking about. So, so there are still many people who are not really clear what the term trans woman means, whether it means a biological man who wants to be a woman or whether it means a woman who wishes to be a man. There is still confusion about this issue. And I think it's, it's really important that we, we, we can talk honestly about what this is. I mean, even the Human Rights Commission talk about the definition of a trans woman being a, a bio, a somebody born with a male body with a female gender identity. I mean, I'm not quite sure what a gender identity is, but they, even the Human Rights mm. Commission acknowledges that they are, they have a male body. But the deputy chief executive took, took particular, um, umbrage with my, with my use of the word male and male bodied, particularly because the, the, the speaker from inside out had, had said to me that using the term male was problematic. Even though it's true. <laughs> Even though it's true. And in subsequent conversations, the Ministry of Transport's leadership team said that they, they acknowledged that the, it might be fact based, that that might be true. But, but I had still erred because I had used language that the presenter said that they didn't like, which I think is just really most peculiar that uh, an advocacy group can come into a ministry and effectively police what language public servants are using even when it's factually accurate language well it's sort of a clown world really when you get to that level i think that this is just you know one very small example and 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 it was just a, a small incident that happened to me some time ago but i think it does raise questions about Potential capture of policymaking organisations. Sorry, who was actually offended? Like was this. it the presenter, or was it just like a general? Did who was the offended person in this instance? Was it the presenter? Were they personally offended? Uh, well, the, the deputy chief executive said that um, a number of people in the room had been shocked and offended by my behaviour. Shocked. I'm not, so shocked. Yes, sorry. Oh, I, yes, shocked. I was shocked and offended by my inappropriate. Did behavior. anyone fall yeah. off the chair? I not not that I saw it. Not that I saw. I mean, it, it was in in most instances when we had a a guest speaker come into the Ministry of Transport, it was quite normal to have a, a question and answer se session. Totally, for there to totally be quite normal. robust yeah. exchanges. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's what one, one would expect to happen in a policy-making organisation, and, and rightly so. So, the, and you made a good point, policy organisation, where language, words, very important, have to be surgical a lot of the time, and how loose is this? 
Well, that absolutely is the point. You know, just working in a ministry really taught me the importance of of being very clear, particularly when it it, it came to proposing legislation or re- regulatory change. You know, we spent a lot of time discussing definitions, and yet here we were being told that if if one particular group didn't like a, a, a definition, then it was okay for them to just change it. And to challenge that was was shocking and inappropriate. And very patronizing to be told, take the time to reflect on your actions, like you're a naughty schoolgirl or something. Well, that that was one thing in the letter, but, but just going back to your previous point, yes, in a, in a subsequent meeting, that I had with the um, deputy chief executive, but also the human rights manager who hadn't actually been at the training session. I was told by that human rights, sorry, not human rights, um, human resources manager that, that she understood that it it wasn't so much my words that were the problem. It was the tone in which Uh, I said them. That's what Which yeah, is, it's very, it, it's, this is not an unusual situation. This has happened to many different people in different countries. And they are told that either the words that they used were, were wrong. Or if their words can't be found to be particularly wrong, then it's the tone in which they said them that, that is wrong. And effectively what it means is that it, it, there's only a very narrow, um, scope for you for, for this issue to be talked about because yeah. it's closed down so quickly. Um, I think that even extends to body language as well. So that's your third tier. Well, um, they, they didn't mention that, but I'm no, sure. No, no, but quite a few have been hit with that. Because of criticism too. as well. It was the way she moved, she moved her hands as she said it. I think uh, Sam Bailey, the doctor, is one of the uh, complaints against her that's running with the uh, right. medical council at the moment. Anyway. Okay, right. so can you can you stay in the ministry after all of this? Well, I I was leaving the ministry anyway and actually leaving New Zealand, so that gave me the scope to to say what I said in the first place because I this issue is so broad that I was aware that even raising any question was was potentially problematic. I didn't anticipate it would be quite as problematic as it was. But the ministry was very keen to stress to me that this was not any form of formal disciplinary procedure, but but frankly, to receive a two-page letter from the deputy chief executive telling me that my behaviour was offensive, shocking and inappropriate doesn't really lend itself to an ongoing career there. No, take the point. All right, so... Yeah, what an experience to have. What does it tell us about the persuasive power of these groups like Inside Out? And obviously there's a willingness in the management layer of the public service to to engage with this. Um, it, it sounds like, I'm sure to our listener, uh, listeners out there, that this is kind of a, a corrosive situation, ultimately. It's very difficult to understand that, that there is this disconnect between what's going on in various organizations, not just in New Zealand. I mean, it's the similar things have just been um, exposed is going on in the UK civil service at, at the moment. The, 
So it, it's very difficult to understand why there is such this level of disconnect. Because I imagine that what I think about sex and gender and the fact that sex is binary and immutable and that while we need to always respect trans-identified people and they should never be subject to discrimination or harassment, that ultimately the belief that one can change sex is is just that. It's a belief and it, it's not um, appropriate to require other people to share that belief. So when there's this level of disconnect between what is going on within decision-making organizations and what ordinary everyday people think, who I, th I think most of them would would share my views that that the sex is binary and immutable and 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 sometimes matters not all the time but sometimes matters um it's it's quite worrying i think it um makes people less trustful of those organizations and i think that really matters i mean i was always a very big supporter of the public service, the, the, the potential it has to improve people's lives and so on. And, and yet I think that there's this potential for erosion of trust and that very worrying and potentially damaging and, and could lead to, to, to backlashes that, that I don't think would be, um, a positive outcome. Just as a male, um, I haven't been through one of these kind of sessions before, but. It seems that, um, and a lot of guys will tell you that uh, the um, the male invasion into the female space via, you know, uh, trans um, is a male play. It, it, it and can be seen in a misogynistic way, actually, like a domination or a taking over of of a gender, if you will. Okay, we could argue that, but it seems to me that that uh, okay, the presenter's a woman. The, the the person sending you letters is a woman. You'd think, as a guy, I'd think that that women would naturally be suspicious of, particularly male transitionings, and and be sort of at least standoffish. But it sounds like they're all in. I, th I think the real a, a real issue with that. I, I think other people have, have written more about it, and some of the suggestions. Oh, that there's the greater pressure on women to be kind and to be inclusive, um, and that I think that plays into it a lot. I think there's so, but that goes against the whole a, feminist movement message. It's it's weird. It sort of flips it. Well, I I I agree with you, Paul. But but there are clearly women out there who are happy to say that somebody who is clearly identified as a male um, can access female-only spaces and, and it's difficult to understand why they would say that. I think I think some of it is, I, I know Helen Joyce has talked about this before, that, that many of the women who, who agree with that position are from that type of lanyard class, the laptop class, the kind of people who um, have grown up not quite appreciating the physical differences between men and women, they're not doing hard manual labor. They're not quite aware. They have a real incentive for obvious reasons, as many women do, to um, downplay the differences between males and females, because in an office environment, it, it doesn't really matter. And we, we mm. women don't want anybody thinking that we are somehow lesser than men. And therefore have convinced themselves that um, 
there are no material differences between men and women, and therefore a man who wants to identify as a woman, um, women should have no objection against that. Yeah, I just wonder if um, it's for some it reinforces, you know, that it's better to be a woman. If a man wants to be a woman, that makes me feel even better about being a woman because obviously men are choosing now to be women, so that that must be the thing to do. I, I don't know. It, it yeah, like I think that's an interesting argument. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's certainly the case that there are, um, we, we see it quite a lot from um, this in Wellington that um, there are a great number of, of men, particularly within the public sector, who are great supporters of trans rights. And I think sometimes men are very supportive, even though they themselves identify as he, hims, as, as males. And I think part of that is because they cannot imagine why somebody would want to be a woman. I think that they don't quite see women as full human beings, and therefore they think that any man who wants to be a woman must be so genuine in that feeling that they should be allowed to be women for all purposes. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? All right, Emma, it's been fascinating hearing what happened there and um, uh, talking about that piece at uh, speakupforwomen.nz, speakupforwomen.nz. Thanks for coming on, RCR. It's a really interesting chat. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.